This morning we're continuing our series, The God Who Cares. How many of us know we serve a God who is interested, cares about every aspect of our lives, amen? Amen. And the title of the sermon is Consumed by Compassion, the Character of Christ. And we're going to look at the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a story I'm sure we're all very familiar with. It's filled with compassion and care. Just because we're familiar with it, don't allow its power and potency to be reduced in your own heart and life as we unpack that story together. Significantly, it only appears in Luke's Gospel, which is highly significant in my mind. But more than that, it's the context in which it appears in Luke's Gospel that I find critical. It appears right after Luke's accurate assessment of the Great Commandment. And so as you read Scripture, context is always crucial and vital so that you interpret and read Scripture in the correct form. But what I love most about this story is if each and every one of us were to think of our unchurched friends, many of them have used the expression, the good Samaritan. They seem to understand what that involves, what that includes, and yet they've never been to church. They couldn't place the story necessarily in Scripture. They may not even know or have read the story. But because even in our own hearts and lives as believers, we are highly versed in understanding Scripture, maybe we can become a little bit indifferent, a little bit idealistic in engaging our hearts with this story. But Jesus had a clear motivation that I want to unpack with us. Scripture produces so much more. And I'm convinced today, as we open up our hearts afresh, that we can all gain and glean spiritual wisdom and insight from this story afresh and discover how we can be consumed with compassion in our own hearts and lives. So my desire for us is open your heart, engage your heart. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Luke 10, and we're going to read verses 25 through 37. I have the ESV translation in front of me. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your mind, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and he saw him and passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went up to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. 
And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Amen. A familiar story. So if we narrate the story, reduce it for just a moment here, in, in, in essence, what do you have? You have a Jewish man going along a road from Jericho to Jerusalem that scholars argue is between 17 and 19 miles long. So imagine going the width of London and back, a road that would have been filled with religious people, priests, going about their work, going about their duty. And obviously, it would have been a target for robbers, thieves, etc. And that's exactly what happened. You see a man beaten, destitute, desperate, discarded by society on the edge of the road. Three men seem to emerge in the story. The first, a Jewish priest, a learned man, a skilled man, wise, talented, sees the man dying on the street, seemingly unmoved. He actually doesn't stop to help. He avoids him by crossing over to the other side of the street. He doesn't even break stride as he walks by. And yet priests in that time were obligated, mandated by the law of Moses to help everyone in need. And being a Jewish priest, he would have been mandated, obligated, to help his greatest enemy, every person he encountered. So he's already flouted the law. He's decided the man is not worth his time or worth his effort. This Jewish man that should have been modeling what actual ministry looked like simply decided he was not worth his time, crossed over and walked by. Enough said there. Second man, a Levite, essentially an assistant minister, would have served and helped the priests in that time. Smarter than your average man, should have known better. He too would have been expected to help. He replicates the heart, the action or the inaction, if you want to look at it that way, of the priest and he simply crosses over to the other side. And now there's a third man the most unlikely of sources, a man from Samaria, a man where Jews and people from Samaria were not friends for years. There was hatred, hostility, anger, bitterness. Emerges. He sees the dying man, probably takes a moment, stares at him. Why is this shocking to us today? He was not expected to help. And before we continue, today. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I can tell you this. You might be discarded by society. You might be desperate and destitute. You might be injured. There might be all types of trouble and trauma in your life. Can I tell you, help is on the way, and I believe it in the name of Jesus that for some of us here, help is going to come to you from the most unlikely of sources and people in the name of Jesus Christ. That is a word for some people in here today. 
Do not lose hope. Help is on the way. What would stop you or I from helping? We wouldn't necessarily want to. Perhaps you're a bit like me and you can find exceptional excuses not to do something. It's always easier not to do something than to do it. Ask yourself the question, what is going on in the deepest recesses of your heart today? Who needs your compassion? Often our excuses camouflage our indifference to other people's problems and plights. We often don't decide to get involved until it personally affects us. We construct brilliant excuses. So I reflected on this story as I was preparing, and I'll be honest, I've got a few plausible excuses that maybe would be in my heart. Maybe one or two of them would resonate with you. You might look at the man and think, well, hang on a minute, there's a great risk to myself. The man may not be dead. He could be a trap. He's lying there. He's healthy. You don't know. And you go to help, bang, you yourself get attacked. You see that a lot in London. The good Samaritan steps into a street fight and becomes the victim themselves. So maybe we decide, oh, too much risk. No thanks. Thoughts and prayers. Maybe, honest confession here, you sleep through the first aid training course at your work, and you look at him and you think, oh, it's more than a cut. I don't have the skills necessary to help him. I don't know what to do. There's my excuse, and you would pass by. Maybe you don't want to get your hands dirty. It's going to cost you. In that time, if a man was dead and you touched him, you yourself would be ceremoniously unclean. Too much risk. I won't do it. Somebody else will come along, undoubtedly. It's a busy road. Somebody else, more prepared, knows what they're doing, will step into that gap and space and meet the man's need. Or the obvious one for all of us, time is ticking. This Samaritan would likely have been away at least a week. Scholars argue as many as nine or ten days. Probably has a wife. Clock's ticking. i got to go. This is going to cost me some time, and I don't have it. I've got other things to do. It's not a quick fix. You can't throw 20 pounds at him and wander down the road. And we're all guilty. If you ever get out of the bus or the tube and you see those people, they've got the clipboards. Sorry, have you got a minute? Headphones on, pretend to talk on the phone, anything. Because you're on a clock, you're on your lunch break, you've got a thousand errands to run, you don't have the time. But I believe that we need to be a good Samaritan. We need to be consumed by compassion. And so I want to give you very briefly four qualities, four attributes that this man possesses that neither the priest nor the Levite possess. Number one, he possesses an open heart in direct contrast to both the priest and the Levite who had closed hearts. He had an open heart. His eyes were observant to the need around him. But beyond simply opening his eyes, he opened his heart and he recognized that there was a need and I could meet that need in that moment. And the Word of God declares that his heart was filled with only one thing, compassion. We think about the wars, we think about the conflicts, 
We think about the challenges that are existing in our world today, February 2024. Our hearts can be filled with sympathy for the various situations. But honestly and truthfully, often sympathy is all that we do. Our interest and our involvement starts and stops with the evening news. A prayer, we move on. Compassion is different. It demands active engagement and action. Because in reality, once his eyes were open, his heart immediately followed. Once you see something, you can't unsee it. So choosing not to engage in that point, at that point, is a choice. Once you see a real need and you decide not to meet it, that's a choice that you make. And our love for God must act as fuel and faith to love humanity the way that God loves humanity. And we can't do it in our own strength. We've got to dig into the vast, unquantifiable, unconditional limits of God's love for each and every one of us. That's the only way we will be able to accomplish this first point. What else does he possess? Number two, he possesses open hands. Beyond an open heart, he now possesses open hands. The Word of God declares the Samaritan went to the man. He actually did something. He was now practically meeting the man's need. He begins to bandage up his hands. He pours out wine and oil. It appears he doesn't have any medicine. He uses the resources that he already has at his disposal. And there is no limitations. There's no cautiousness deployed by the man. He just instantly sees the need and starts to meet it. He uses what he possesses. Why? Because the Good Samaritan was completely invested and involved in ensuring that this injured man could return to full health. He wasn't just prepared to offer a passing involvement into the man's situation. He went one stage further. He opened his hands. He practically helped. How many times as Christians do we hear the phrase, oh, I'll pray for you? Any witness in the house of the Lord? And the first thing you're thinking is, when are you going to pray for me? And are you actually going to pray for me? It's a lovely Christian soundbite, but does it actually happen? We make a commitment that we ultimately may not follow through on. And I believe as Christians, we're often prepared to help to a point from a distance or until it gets difficult or inconvenient. This man got heavily involved in the injured man's life. He was all in, and it seems that he used every resource that he had to generate or facilitate the maximum possibility of this man's health and restoration occurring. He could have left him some food. He could have left some money. He could have written a lovely prayer and left the note on the floor next to the man and made his way and still have done more than either the priest or the Levite. But this Samaritan sets the standard of compassion for you and I today. He brought him to an inn. He cared deeply for him. He made provision for long-term care because he was dedicated and devoted to seeing this man restored and healed. And I want to suggest to you today, KT, this is what we need to do with and for each other. Amen? Amen? This is the standard. The heart and the compassion of the Good Samaritan recognized the longer-term need and a love that stretched beyond the borders of simply here and now. And I know there are people in the house of the Lord that will witness to this. If you've ever gone through a difficult season and circumstance in your life 
And maybe it's somebody in your cell group, your cell group leader, and they've held your hand and they've walked with you and they've journeyed with you beyond the trauma and the trouble of the first situation until you got victory, until you got breakthrough, until you got freedom, until you got health. Hasn't that been a blessing? Isn't that what God wants? Isn't that what we should be doing? But there's a cost to that. There's a cost that stretches beyond a simple text message or a WhatsApp, a link to a sermon. As good and as necessary as they are, we've got to get involved and invested in one another's lives. It will refresh and renew your own heart and soul, not merely words, niceties, platitudes, but get personally involved. I'm tired. Every time there's a tragedy in the world, thoughts and prayers. Prayers are great as long as they're to the one true and living God, but what are the thoughts? The thoughts have got to transpire to action. Faith without works is dead. We have to put it into action. The third uh, quality that this man possesses, and this is a tough one, he possesses an open diary. Uh, we are Londoners. We are time poor. It seems to me that this man was prepared to throw his diary out of the window. How would you feel this morning if I kept you here to two o'clock? You've got lunch. You've got to put the, get the car away from the meter. You've got a thousand things to do. I won't keep you here to, to two o'clock, just to clarify. But this man was prepared for his entire diary. Chuck it out the window. It's obsolete. It's secondary. It's irrelevant. My primary focus now is the needs of this man. Because there's always an avalanche of needs and necessities in our daily lives. How do you manage that? How do you steward that? This man opened up his diary. Now, we don't get any visibility on what his responsibilities likely were. He probably was a married man. He's been away from his wife for at least a week, maybe nine, ten days. She's expecting him home. He's got duties to her. He's got duties to his home. All of that secondary. Why? He sees the need of the man in front of us. Now, I don't know about you, I'm guilty on occasions. I build no margins into my life, always running from pillar to post. And it's easy to help to a point until our lives, our schedules don't get interrupted. This man made no risk assessment of any of that. He just helped. When was the last time that you could honestly say the same? You weren't clock watching. You weren't looking on your cell phone for the next notification, you just stepped into a gap and helped all in. It'll be inconvenient, it'll be uncomfortable, it'll be impractical, but it's worth it in the name of Jesus Christ. The Word of God declares that He put him on the animal, the likelihood it was, would have been a donkey, and He took him to the nearest inn. What we don't necessarily pick up immediately in the story is that this good Samaritan had integrity and credibility with the innkeeper. He spent the night there looking after this man, making sure that he was comfortable. His diary went out the window. He was convinced. He was courageous enough to do what is necessary, to meet the needs in a compassionate way. We're always busy. There's always something to do. We're always running from pillar to post, from meeting to meeting. 
And I believe we need to build flexibility and breathe health and life and strength into our own diaries that facilitate opportunities and offers to meet one another's needs to this standard and to this degree. And the fourth thing is he opens his wallet and the church said, Amen. Amen. I know we've just given of our tithes and offerings. That is 10%. Praise God, it's only 10%. The tax man usually wants 20, 40, 50. 10%. That's the base minimum. We should do much more than that. We should give much more than that. But this man opens up his wallet. He gave the innkeeper two denarii. The likelihood is a labor's wages in that time that would be two days' work for him. No problem. He runs the risk of the innkeeper when he leaves, the innkeeper just throwing this man out on the street and keeping the money. Or worse, when he returns, the innkeeper charging him eight, 10, 12 denarii for the care that he provided whilst he was away. He was, well, that's out the window. No problem, I'll take that risk. Why? I want the man well. I want to show compassion whatever the cost. And can I tell you here today, KT, prayers are great and they're necessary and needed, but there are going to be times and opportunities in your life where you need to practically meet somebody's need. Pay their rent, pay their phone bill, put some money on their Oyster card, pray with them and encourage them, but meet a practical need in the name of Jesus Christ. You've got to open your wallet. It's going to cost you, but it's going to cost you more not to do it because God gave you that offer and that opportunity and you declined it. You discarded it. So in your own heart and life, what will stop you opening your own wallet? We've got to become practical in our help for others, not just offering spiritual help as needed and as necessary as that is. And if we don't believe that all our resources belong to the Lord, simply put, you will withhold. And ultimately, each and every one of us get to decide and determine in our heart whether we want to accumulate or whether we want to distribute. And I don't know about you, but in my own life, in my own journey, when I look at how Jesus lived his life, he accumulated very little. He distributed an awful lot. And I believe, contrary to how the world operates, that a truly successful life is not measured by what your credit rating or your bank account is or what your postcode is or what your degrees are, what you've accumulated, but it's measured by what you distribute. Did you help me when I was in need? Did you serve the lost? Did you reach the hurting? Did you bind up the wounds of injured people? Did you do what God called you to do? We need to remove the worldly thinking that dictates I'm successful if I gather and I accumulate and I withhold and I don't give to God and we need to start to give to God and to God's people. All resources that you and I have in this world, He owns. They're not yours. You open your banking app, it might have your name on it, but it's not yours. He is asking you to steward what He has already afforded and given to you. The question is, do you want to open your wallet? So what's the application? The reality for us is how do we demonstrate this in our own lives in the 21st century? The potential list of offers and opportunities for us is countless. 
and consistent in every single moment in our lives. And I believe even in this room, there are very serious and significant needs. Financial, job, accommodation. There are needs in this house. Life is hard, it's not easy, it never is. But our default as a Christian, as a believer, will be always to protect and to provide for self. But the invitation this morning is to demonstrate compassion, just like that good Samaritan. And if we're all honest, we probably all struggle to various degrees to demonstrate compassion but it demands a heart and a life that is fully surrendered to God at all times. Not a heart that continually counts the cost, but a heart that is willing to pay the cost. You can't show mercy to someone who can do something for you in return and not demonstrate it for someone who cannot do something for you in return. There can be no filtering process on determining and deciding who is a recipient of the compassion that God has given us. It's every person, every time, in every season, in every moment. No exceptions, no excuses, and no explanations. That's the only way that we can live right before God. We are not called or charged by God to present God our formulas and our frameworks on who we believe is deserving of our compassion. Take a moment, consider your greatest enemy. What feelings have I just evoked? What thoughts are swirling in your mind? That person that may have betrayed you, breached your trust, lied to you, lied about you, misrepresented you, that person is wholly, wholly accepting and able to receive your compassion. No excuses, no extenuating circumstances, no explanations about how you have a get out of jail free card. compassion. Our hearts need to be filled with it. That's what the Word of God declares, compassion. Now, I may have upset or even offended a few people here today because you would sit there and you're thinking to yourself, well, you don't know my story, and maybe I don't, but I do know the Bible, and the Bible says compassion. So, if you have an issue with what I've said, Take it up with God. <laughs> Amen? Because each and every day, we have an invitation from God to demonstrate that compassion, irrespective of our own circumstances and seasons, whether the need is great or small. And can I also say it's irrespective of color, creed, gender, sexual orientation, religious belief, political affiliation, social status, every single 
person you ever encounter on the face of this earth is a worthy recipient of your compassion. So it extends beyond the four walls of this church. And so my question to you today is, do you want to demonstrate the compassion that the Good Samaritan reflects? My question presupposes that you have the capacity and the willingness. But it's an invitation. It's not a one-time event. It's something you need to cultivate in your Christian discipleship each and every day. Every single day, the choice is yours. Decide in your heart, I'm not going to count the cost. I'm not going to risk assess. I am just going to be a man or a woman of God that reflects the heart and the love of Jesus to humanity by demonstrating compassion, by stepping into those spaces and circumstances of people's lives and breathing health and strength in Jesus' name. And as I was preparing or finishing this yesterday, the Holy Spirit revealed this to me. There are people in this very room that need to demonstrate compassion to other people sitting in this very room. I implore you, I implore you with whatever influence and impact I can ever produce in your life, don't let your heart be hard, or your heart be hard. Don't give the enemy a route in. Don't do it. Don't let pride, ego, the need to be right, the need to be first, the need to be loudest, don't let that infiltrate your heart. Walk in compassion. There is nothing more powerful, nothing more beautiful than seeing a group, a body of believers like us walking in compassion and love and grace one to the other. I don't know what each and every scenario and situation is, and to be honest, I don't necessarily need to. I do know that our God is good, and if you would open up your heart, let it be consumed by compassion, it will shift your perspective. It will change. And it may not happen overnight. The man's injuries weren't redeemed probably overnight, but it will happen. It will come. Don't let your heart be immovable and hard. So what am I saying in conclusion? Our lives must be lived consistently and wholeheartedly in complete submission and surrender to God. There's simply no other way, friends. We can do that day by day. We'll be able to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. Anything else is simply behavioral change that will have no impact. It is powerless, it is fruitless, and it is nothing more than self-effort and striving. No judgment. I have a few tattoos. One of you, two of you may know that. I have one Bible verse inked on my arm that I try through the grace of God to live my life by. 1 John 4, 19. We love because He first loved us. You cannot give what you have not received. And if you have truly received it and you know it's true, 
you are obligated to do it. You need to walk in obedience to that. And so that's the invitation is, do you want to show compassion? There is not one person on the face of this earth that is beyond your compassion, no matter how desperate, no matter how distressing or destitute the situation or the person. You need two qualities. Your heart needs to be open and obedient. And for those of you here wondering, well, who is my neighbor? I think I've answered it unequivocally. It's not based on geographical location, although that too is important. It's everyone on the face of this earth that you encounter. A neighbor is simply someone that needs what you have. Love, kindness, care, but ultimately, compassion. Everything that Jesus has made accessible and available to you. Compassion is simply love in action. It sees a need and it meets it. No strings attached. There will be risk on your side. But that is ultimately one of the greatest examples that if you are only able to do this one thing, demonstrate compassion, you'll reflect the character of Christ. But the question is, will you be consumed by compassion? And so I'm going to ask, as I close, four, four questions. And maybe all four of the answers are relevant to you. Great. Maybe only one. And at the end of it, if there's one or more that is applicable to you, I'm going to ask you to stand in response. And maybe you want to take a moment now to just bow your head, close your eyes, crystallize in your heart, in your mind, some of what I've just been sharing this afternoon. We all fall short. None of us are perfect. But this Samaritan man went above and beyond no risk assessment, no hesitation, no delay, no denial of the risk of the problem. And so here are the four questions. Are you in this place today and you know that your heart is closed? Maybe you're the priest, the Levite. You know all the answers. You look the part, but it's not in your heart. That's just been exposed. Own it. It's okay. But you need to let your heart be open. Maybe your heart is open, but your hands are closed. Because that involves effort. That involves sacrifice and service. That involves an investment of my resources, my time, my energy. And so your hands are closed. Maybe you're here and you're constantly busy. And I, I, I detest the word, I'm guilty as charged, I know in my own life, but I detest the word because my question to my own heart is busy doing what? Is it furthering the kingdom? Is it being effective? And a lot of us, I believe, we are busy with things that are not of this kingdom, not of the kingdom of God. And I believe some of us need to open our diaries, create space, serve in our food hub, get involved, meet some practical needs of our over 65s community. They need visits. I'm too busy, haven't got the time. You need to open your diary. 
And I know the Word of God declares in James 1 that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. I know the Word of God declares that He gives us the ability or capacity, depending on your translation, to make wealth. But every resource of heaven is found at the foot of Calvary in the presence of Jesus. And I believe there are wonderful men and women of God in here that need to open their wallets. Beyond your tithing, as appreciated and as valued as that undoubtedly is. But there are needs in this church, practical needs. And I believe there are mighty men and women of God that you just need to open your wallet a little bit more. Trust God. Just like the Good Samaritan, he had no idea how much the innkeeper would or would not charge him upon his return. He paid two days' wages up front, no problem. And I believe as you do that, God is going to resource you with more. Because when you go about God's business, He goes about yours, and He will give you more so that you can be even more effective for the kingdom.